So our scripture reading today uh, is from the reading is a reading from uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter seven, verse fifteen through twenty, and it states, "Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but diseased trees." bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thank you. Well, it's um, good to be back with you. My name is Stacy Croft. I'm the lead pastor here at CPC in town, and uh, I've been, I have been, as I mentioned earlier, I've been out for a few Sundays just enjoying a little vacation and time away, and, um, but I've missed you guys. I'm so glad to see your faces again and um, to be here, and uh, most of the time, uh, mo- I'd say 95% of the time, I'm usually the one that preaches, and especially uh, gets to open up these passages, and this one is, uh, if you can tell, is a lot about fruit, <laughs> a lot of fruit in this one. Um, you know, there's a, a good friend of mine who was actually on a vacation uh, a few years ago, and he and his family were flying to Hawaii. Fantastic, right? I mean, Hawaii during the summer, beautiful, just going. And uh, they're, they're on the plane, and all of a sudden, you know, it's one of those things, the the uh, flight attendant comes on and says, we'll be making our, uh, you know, our stop in Salt Lake City, and uh, then we'll go on. And he was a little bit like, wait, what? Pulled out his ticket. He and his three girls he and his wife are sitting there, you know, thinking, hey, we're on our way. He looks at his ticket. Oh, they're going to the completely wrong island. Like, they have purchased all these tickets and they're on their way. <laughs> and it's like everybody's worst nightmare. You're on a flight, you know, it's even worse than like going to the wrong class and then you have to get up and leave. This is going on a plane where you're stuck in a little metal tube all the way across the country and you have to keep going. So he had to like figure out how are we gonna get to our actual destination? And just because it said Hawaii on there, he just trusted and he kept going. <laughs> and so he and his whole family's vacation turns sideways. And and, you know, it's interesting as as Jesus continues in this sermon and as he did this, you know, these people came up on a mountainside and they've been listening to this sermon for some time. He's actually coming closer to the end and at the beginning he's talking about practical living. He's talking about how do we live showing the true righteousness, true following of God, true following of Jesus, right? Right? And then he goes into talking about, well, you can be a hypocrite. Be careful not to be hypocritical about what you show. And then finally, he gets to some portions here that are, to be honest, quite frightful. Uh, The passage we looked at last week, this one, even next week, they're all these passages of beware. Are you sure you're on the right path? Are you sure you're listening to the right people? Because that's what this passage is about, that there are people that, who are going to come and say a lot of things to you and cause you to think that you're following the right thing and you're not. You may be thinking, you, it may be even saying the right words, it may even look right on the bill, but you may be heading to the complete wrong destination. 
Do you know? That is a really scary thing. Like, guys, I don't know if you're here and maybe you're exploring Christianity again, or maybe this is kind of one of those passages you're like, oh man, this is kind of awkward. How do we talk about this? I, we need to talk about these passages. Jesus opened this up for a reason. In fact, to talk about false prophets was all through the Bible. The Bible opens this up, and most of the time when they're talked about, false prophets are not those people that are coming and just talking about, you know, mean things, you know, like getting in your face. It's more of this subtle beauty without cost. There's no real, there's no real cost to you. It's like, come on in, just here, buy that. And Jesus is saying, beware of false prophets, because they want you to follow them more than they do me. And this is not just the first time, in fact, all through this New Testament, in fact, it, it, Jesus brings it up, even other uh, letters later in the New Testament bring this up, the fact that there were other people who claimed to be the Messiah during this period, that there were other people who said, I am the Christ, I am the one who's gonna bring peace. In the Old Testament, there were prophets who said, peace, peace, and there was never peace. In the New Testament, there were people who said, follow me, follow me. And yet when they, were, when they were either killed, it says, or something else, their disciples scattered. What makes following Jesus different? How do we know we're following the right thing? There's an article in The Atlantic uh, some time ago uh, that I thought was interesting. It was about uh, the new religion called apatheism. Essentially, uh, combining the words apathy and theism. And, and uh, one person who even claimed that they were uh, not a follower of anything, we would say they might have been an atheist at times, said, apatheism is this, it's a disinclination to care all that much about one's own religion and even stronger disinclination to care about other people's. And guys, that is actually a pretty good description of the false teaching that we can get. The false prophecy, the false movement is apatheism. And I would suggest, do many of us lie in that description? Are we somewhat, maybe we care about our own, but do we not care about anyone else's? Or maybe the opposite. Do we care too much about what everyone else thinks and don't really care much about our own? Where are we? What do we think about these words? These are very powerful words that Jesus is saying. So I wanna talk about this in two ways. I think Jesus unpacks it by saying, first, the fruit talks about who you follow. And then there's a fruit connected to our future. So fruit and who you follow and fruit and the future. Really interesting things here. Fruit and fruit who you follow is, is pretty easy here. I mean, Jesus is unpacking. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. There are so many, as I said, that came along, even in Matthew 24, Jesus talks about this again, that there are many people who claim to be the Messiah, who are gonna say, here's the truth, here's what you should follow. But what, what, how do you know the difference, right? By the fruit, it says. Fruit here was used often in, in the Bible, it's used th especially in the New Testament, by not just the Gospels. Matthew was the first Gospel, first book in the New Testament, not the first written Mark was, but Matthew is in it if you open up. And all throughout it, it talks about this fruit. Then even those later that wrote letters talk about fruit, that fruit metaphorically talks about the deeds in people. It talks about what you see. 
Fruit displays the whole person, it says. And that the heart is constantly, here's the thing, the heart is constantly bringing out those things. That our heart really is a well. Our, our mouth and our deeds are the bucket that draw out of that and display it for all to see. And Jesus is saying, look, you can have a, a tree, you can have fruit on it, but it could be false fruit. He even talks about the switch here, the switcheroo. You know, you will recognize them by the fruits are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. Sometimes, even in the East, uh, Near East, there were, uh, the ancient Near East, there were certain bushes that would actually look similar in fruit. And if you were not wise enough to know the difference, you could be picking a completely different thing. Some of you know that when you put something in and you're cooking at home and you actually throw in something that may not work right and you think it is one thing and it's the other. You ever switched your salt and sugar in your coffee before? Done that. Thought it was sugar in a thing, threw in salt, horrible coffee. Wasn't a good trial run. That's actually what he's saying. They look similar, but the taste, the effect is very different. Look, I knew a girl in college that she was washing her clothes and she said, my clothes just seem to be dirty all the time. I just can't get all this stuff out. We're like, what? What are you doing? Well, I put this stuff called softener in there every time, but it doesn't get it out. And we're like, what, you mean for months? You've been washing your clothes with just fabric softener? Yes. It smells good. My clothes are soft, but there's these stains on them. Uh, Let's help you with that. You know, like, there's a little bit of an issue there. That's kind of the thing. It may smell good. It may feel good. But there is still something wrong with it. That is what Jesus is talking about. He's saying beware. Because there are two major things that come out of this. And you see this. It's funny. This passage, if you did kind of a word study in there, you can do it on your phone. If some of you uh, may use your phone already for the Bible, I would encourage any of you, even if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, and I would love for you to read it more, those apps you can get with the Bible on your phone are very helpful for this because you can push a, a little, uh, if it's a, uh, a letter of the alphabet, some reference. You can actually touch on it and it'll unpack, it'll open up all these connected verses to this. And you'll see how often fruit is connected to good and bad things and what that means. And the first here, false, false teachers and preachers speak about salvation without Jesus. It's salvation without Christ. They may talk of Christ, but not salvation connected to him. And that's a huge thing. Peter says this in, in 2 Peter chapter 2. He says this, listen to what he says. False prophets also arose among the people. Remember I was telling you, historically, so many people went out and said, here I am, follow me. But just as there will be false teachers among you who will, be secretly bring, will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many, who, many will follow their sensuality because of them, the way the truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words." So it's not so much bad, it's, it's this beautiful laid out plan, but yet it's never connected to Jesus himself as salvation, as the one who is the key to it. It's kind of his cool teaching. 
You know, it's interesting. Ravenous wolves is another thing that's connected there. That language is to say that there are these people that dress up and it's very, very good. But they're seeking to have you follow them. They want followers rather than to follow Jesus. You know, there, um, there was a great article on USA Today some time ago that talked about his, history and movies. Uh, a lot of you know I love movies. I uh, love to watch them and read about them. It looked at, uh, at the time, uh, some of the most recent historical movies, and there was a lot of discussion about this, uh, and, and things that, um, that really kind of altered history in the film. Uh, and a lot of people were like, what, that never happened historically. Why are you doing this? And here's what they came out to. In the final analysis, filmmakers have no higher obligation than effectively telling a story. And viewers have to keep in mind that based on a true story typically means some of this is factual, but we made a bunch of stuff up to sell more tickets. Truth may be stranger than fiction, but it's usually not as interesting. Now, it doesn't mean all films and documentaries are uh, fictional, right? But it is interesting to see the altering of certain films historically in order to make them more interesting. That's a great illustration of what Jesus is talking about when he says false prophets. It's not necessarily something that's a massive heresy or blaspheming. It's subtle movements away from the truth of who Jesus is. And how do we know the difference? Here's the question. Do you know the Bible? I know that sounds like such a simple, easy thing for me to ask you. You're a preacher. Don't you have to ask us that question? I have to know it too. How do I know? How do you know that I'm bringing you the truth of the gospel every week, the truth of the good news? Is it connected to the Bible itself? This is a time period, and I realize this. I've, I operate in these circles a lot. I have, I have great relationships with people who don't agree with me about the Bible. But I find myself often more and more uh, being in a minority of understanding and saying, this is what I really feel, and, and even in scholarly context, not just out in the open. But discussing, debating, uh, um, 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 having conversations about the scripture itself, the Bible. And many of you here may say, I am a Christian, I follow Jesus. Maybe you've read some of the Bible before, but I wanna ask you this, is the, is the picture of who you know Jesus to be starting to alter and slide and change because we haven't gone back to the mirror as, as illustrations even used in the Bible to see who we are in the word of God. I wanna encourage you to study the Bible. I wanna tell you that, that how do you understand if something's false or true? You wouldn't know it unless you know what the stake is, wouldn't know what the standard is in the Bible itself of who Jesus said he was. Wasn't it even the disciples who followed him, who saw Jesus, who touched him, who ate with him, who still were like, hey, when are you gonna do all this stuff for us? And he said, no, 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 no. You're missing who I am. This is an age old thing. How do we understand who Jesus is? Y'all, I, I, I wanna encourage you, if you don't own a Bible, we have Bibles at the back. If you wanna plan, if you want help studying it, to read it. Many of us have said, I've followed Jesus all my life, but when was, how much do we actually spend in it? And I don't mean just like 
Have you read it cover to cover? I, that's awesome. But I mean just getting into it to see the picture of who Jesus is, to let Jesus' words say who he is. We will not know that. We will not know who he is. We will continue to alter the stories that fit our lives, that fit our circumstances, that just practically work for us. And it's, it's hard, but that's the same. It also is without cost. You see, there's a cost to following Jesus. One of the things that false prophets, and it talks about here, if you op- open up other parts of the Bible to hear what a false prophet does, is, is to say there's no mercy cried out. It says, in other words, it's not just Christ without, salvation without Jesus, but it's also salvation. If you have Jesus in there, there's cost. And many of us may like the idea of Jesus, but when it comes to the cost part, we don't like that at all. I don't know who wrote this poem. Uh, I've read it. I don't know if I've read it to you all, but I've read it several times myself. But listen to what it says. I think it's aptly descriptive. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but enough to equal a cup of warm milk in, or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love people different from me. I, don't want, I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would love, like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Now, I don't know where many of you are uh, in your, uh, as many of us would say, in your connection to Jesus, following Jesus. Maybe you, you've, you come in here this morning and you're like, man, I came for this sermon. But this one is really pushing us to say, do we avoid the cost? I mean, think about this. Even Jesus himself, when he was faced with what he had to do going to the cross, even Jesus himself sweat drops of blood and said, God, is there any other way? Even himself had to go into the fact that we have a temptation to avoid the cost for salvation. Jesus had to take on that cost and even he had to face the temptation that we all face in order to take it up, to go to the cross. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who who is an amazing uh, modern um, martyr, he said this, discipleship as a commitment, discipleship means following, a learner of Jesus, as a commitment to the person of Jesus Christ places the disciple under the law of Christ, and that is under the cross. Following Jesus is not easy. Can can we be honest for a second? Many of us find ourselves thinking that maybe Christianity is a betterment. Maybe it's a supplement. Maybe it's something that's to enhance my life and make it better. But you know what? For many of us, if we're really looking at it, to follow Jesus is not easy. I mean, maybe to accept him sometimes is easy, but to follow him? The the closer we get to the cross, the closer the, the disciples got to the cross, the closer we as disciples get to the cross, it is a crisis for them. 
And it is a crisis even for Jesus. The, the cross of Christ, I, there's one hanging right behind me. This is something we've become used to in our churches, something that we've become used to as a symbol for us of Christianity. But do we understand what that really meant for them? It meant death. It meant you are, you are submitting every part of you to follow this person. It was a crisis for them. Every time Jesus brought it up to them, they would even rebuke him. Jesus, are you nuts? What, what does the cross have to do with, what does it have to do with the new world that's coming in? Well, can't you just beat the Romans? Can't you just change everything now? Why do you have to go and die? What a, what a dumb thought. But isn't that where we come from? Don't we identify with that? Discipleship is that. It means those things. And here's what's interesting about it. The prophets that Jesus are t- is talking about, false prophecy says, the, don't worry about it. No cost. And what does that do to grace itself? What does it do to, to the fact that, that Jesus went to the cross for us? It makes it cheap. To, to diminish our following him, to say your obedience, your, your living out following Jesus you know, as long as you accept them, it's great. What does that do to us? It, it makes us practical atheists. It makes us live in ways that we say one thing and we don't really mean it. Do we know what it means to be a, a disciple of Jesus? Do we know what it means to take that up and to follow him? Because that's the truth. You want to learn how to discern, to have discerning ears about what is false and what is true. Look at the cost of following Jesus. Not just cost. Look, if you, <clears throat> if you just make it Jesus, you may not know his life. If you just make it cost, you're like, well, that's sometimes we just kind of make our own cost, don't we? We feel shame or guilt about things that we have done or haven't done, and maybe it has nothing to do with following Jesus at all. That's just as, as false. But we have to know following Jesus is costly. And he says something here, the second thing here that's really probably even more uncomfortable than the first. He says this line, that is over and over in the New Testament. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Fruit is connected to a future. It's connected to something. You know, I, I, I don't know about you, but when you drive uh, 65 South, and if you're going to the beach, um, as I do every year, you see oftentimes these signs on the road, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you from uh, these, have driven that stretch from the area, I've seen it. There's signs that say, heaven or hell? Where are you going? You seen those signs? Tons of them, billboards. Uh, my favorite one is, uh, uh, go to church or the devil will get you. That one, it's like, th- th- somebody did some like woodworking and actually pressed it against this thing. It's like next to like a waterfall. It's like, whoa, you took some time on that. Um, 
you come to passages like this, it's almost like driving down 65. You read that and you go, that makes me a little uncomfortable. Why is that? It's not necessarily the way that we would talk. It's not a, a, a way that we would speak. But Jesus mentions this here, and he mentions it over and over. He t- really speaks to the reality that there is a hell. He goes to that place. He does talk about that. Now, I think the way that <clears throat> we speak today and those billboards should in some ways, and we don't talk that way to people. I think we need, we need to be wise about how we speak. But it does evoke in us this, ooh, should we skip over that part? Jesus wants us to know that fruit points to the future. There is a fruit that is connected to where we're going. What is that? We really have to ask the question. I can't avoid this verse. I I can't either. It's not just me saying it to you. You know, most people think, oh, I just say this and move on. No, I have to look at that too and go, gosh, that's hard. That's hard to see that that fruit is connected to the future, that there's something more to it. And it's interesting when you look at this more in these passages, before it even gets to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has a conversation in Matthew chapter three about this with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And he uses this language again. He says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, two of the religious parties, the Pharisees were the conservative group that held up the Bible, held up the, 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 um, all the parts of it. The Sadducees were the people who would say, uh, we, we can relax on that. You had both the conservative and liberal ends of what we would say the religious day, coming to Jesus. And he says this, He said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for, for Abraham. He continues, he says, even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What a stark phrase. But here's what was going on. Here's what, here's what the religious groups were doing. It, it, it's, it's interesting. They were actually ta- saying, because Abraham is our father, we can rely on that fruit. We're okay. Because we have somebody maybe greater than us that has done wonderful things, a name that, that historically meant a lot, that religiously meant a lot. We are, we're okay, and if we keep with that. But what Jesus says is fruit in keeping with repentance. Here's an encouragement for you in this verse. How does fruit connect to our future? It means that fruit connected to repentance, that the living out of your life isn't about how great you pray how much of the Bible you have read. It's not the amount of those things. Repentance isn't turning from bad things to good things. That's what you may have heard growing up in religious circles. Repentance is a turning, but it's not just turning from bad things to do good things. It's turning from bad and good things to Jesus. It's actually fruit connected to repentance. It's doing good deeds out of a greater relationship with someone who's bigger than Abraham. Who's someone's bigger than, do you see that? It's, 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 it's saying, coming into these walls, 
doesn't make us Christians any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. In order for us to have fruit that bears reality to who we are and who we follow and what we're listening to, it connects to repentance. It says, it's not all about me. And it's not all about following the guy talking. It's about following him. It's about following Christ. And doesn't that, doesn't that shake us some? Shouldn't that, shouldn't that push internally in on us? About even at the beginning of what I spoke about, but apathyism, shouldn't it make us say, gosh, there's something greater to this? It may not be billboards and insults. It may not be just lax and apathy, but how much do we really care? Penn, uh, you may have heard of Penn and Teller. Uh, Penn, who, uh, Gillette, who's a, a comedian and actually outspoken atheist, uh, has a, his own blog, video blog. I don't know if you've ever watched it before. But there was a moment in one of his acts where he received uh, a Bible from a man after his show. And it really, it really set him back. You, you, know, you might think, oh, is that kind of like a billboard, hey, heaven or hell, you going, where are you going? That kind of question, no, but he approached him with this thing, was, he goes, Gideon Bible, and you know, Penn, as many of us may go, oh, what's a Gideon Bible, you know, it's just a Bible, and uh, Penn said, it was so fascinating, he said, there was something different about this man, he wasn't just giving me something and hoping, trying to sell it, there was something in his eyes that he actually cared about me, listen to, but listen to Penn's words about this. This is someone who is not a follower of Jesus. I have always said that I don't respect, do not respect people who do not proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would be, make, make things socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that. I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point where I tackle you and heaven and hell is more important than that. This is coming from someone who doesn't care about either. I know this is weighty. I know that what we're talking about is heavy stuff, but we have to look at it because it does this press in on our souls because if it doesn't, does it even matter? Does following Jesus even matter? Jesus is saying beware because there are gonna be teachings and people teaching that will be so easy for us to follow and to steer away. So how do we know the difference between the false prophet and the true prophet? John chapter 10 is a chapter that Jesus is speaking about himself. And he says this there, and I think it's perfect for us to understand there's actually a true shepherd, a true shepherd that says this. Listen, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, 
He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. So truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are the thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. You don't wanna know the biggest difference of what it means to follow the true shepherd, to know if you're following a false shepherd, is this is the only shepherd that lays his life down. False shepherds use the sheep to to block themselves. They allow the sheep to die in order that they may, as ravenous wolves, continue to live. This is the difference. This table shows you that this is different. You wanna know the cost? Jesus paid the cost so that you can actually live out the gospel. We don't hear these words and bear fruit because you have to bear it or you might not make it. That is actually the opposite of what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, who you follow thus then shows your fruit. And if you follow the one, and if you follow the one here who laid his life down, that's the difference. The true shepherd The one who loves his sheep, who knows them, lays his life down so that they might live. This one doesn't abuse us. He gives his body and blood for you. Because the fruit in your life, as much as you think, and I can't see all of your faces, I wish I could meet every eye in this room, as much as you think the fruit in your life is rotten, you know what makes it beautiful and healthy? isn't because you're doing your best. It's because you're turning from both your bad and good things to the one who set this table. He is your nourishment. He is your life. He is the one you follow. He is the true shepherd. That's why this table is set. It's not set by me. I'm not the true shepherd. It's not set by Christ's presence. This, this institution isn't set up on its own. This institution is a part of and comes out of the true shepherd who set this table for you.